Hey folks, this is Michael, and welcome to this episode of Tatter. Tatter is largely recorded and edited in the digital media studios at Bates College, access to which is something I am very grateful for. But I do want to say that the views expressed in each episode of Tatter are in no way official views of Bates College. With all that said, here's Tatter. The most recent episode of Tatter focused on the 2nd Congressional District of Maine. This is the largest congressional district east of the Mississippi River and the second most rural in the country. The district is currently represented in the U.S. House by Republican Bruce Poliquin, but one man who wants Poliquin's job is Lucas St. Clair. As reported in Yankee Magazine, St. Clair was born in the 2nd Congressional District He's the son of Roxanne Quimby, who co-founded the company Burt's Bees. After high school, St. Clair hiked the Appalachian Trail, backpacked Europe, and finished culinary school, studying as a pastry chef. He came back to Maine and opened a restaurant in Winter Harbor, but later he set out via motorcycle cross-country and eventually settled in Seattle. He was a sommelier, so he dazzled people with his knowledge of wine, and he was even a model for Eddie Bauer. With his beard and with those jobs, one might be tempted to write him off as just another hipster, but he was also a fishing guide, so he didn't quite fit that mold. In any event, he returned to Maine, where he successfully championed a cause his mother had fought for, creating a national monument in northern Maine. The 87,500-acre Katahdin Woods and Waters Monument was designated by President Obama, and one reason that happened is St. Clair's advocacy. But that monument has been controversial. As Yankee Magazine wrote, and here I quote, In the northern Maine community of Millinocket and the small towns that surround it, some have seen St. Clair as a savior to a region reeling from the demise of the paper industry. To others, he's a rich interloper hell-bent on upending a way of life and inserting the federal government into hardcore mountain and forest towns, places where local control is a prized commodity. There have been handshakes and hugs, insults and death threats, end quote. St. Clair recently spoke to me by phone. This episode features the entirety of that interview. This episode is titled... Magic Carpet Ride. What's your primary reason for wanting to replace Bruce Poliquin as the U.S. House Rep for the 2nd District? I feel like there needs to be a strong, clear voice for rural Maine and rural America in Washington, D.C. that are taking the needs and opportunities of rural Maine uh, to to Washington to make sure that there is a clear and concise voice for uh, the, the the representing the challenges and 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 funding and and uh, recognizing the opportunities that Maine has and and I feel like that is not being done uh, by our current current congressman uh, that he uh, comes quite short from from understanding uh, what is going on in in the district that he serves and it has. Uh, clearly 
demonstrated that in the, the votes that he has taken and the lack of transparency that he's had and um, the, the fact that he, he spends so little time uh, really in, in the heart of the district. Is there a particular vote of his that comes to mind as one that you are most critical of? The vote to overturn the Affordable Care Act. Um, you know, this is the oldest congressional district in the United States, and it's the second most rural in the United States. Uh, and critical, the rural critical care health centers and, and hospitals are absolutely paramount to delivering health care to an elderly population. And uh, the Affordable Care Act is it helps those hospitals stay viable, and it helps the people of this district access the health care that they need. And to create volatility in the market with a, with the straight repeal of, of the Affordable Care Act, and then a vote to uh, to support the tax uh, tax reform that was passed uh, earlier or late late last year, uh, which is going to blow a giant hole in our in our federal budget, uh, put us one and a half trillion dollars into debt, uh, and continues to cause uh, a lot of vulnerability and and uh, volatility in the healthcare market uh, you know that that is just not helping the people that he was put uh put in Washington DC to serve have you held elected office before i have not no so why start at this level rather than say getting experience at lower levels of government first especially given that your uh one of your opponents and um I think most uh, pundits agree your leading opponent, uh, Jared Golden, uh, uh, is uh, more experienced at, at lower levels of government, including the state legislature. So why start at this level? It's the level that I'm most familiar with and the, the level that I understand the most. I've spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill over the last many years working to draft and uh, working to introduce legislation to create the Katahdin Woods Waters National Monument. I've worked uh, um, for boards, uh, or and I've served on boards that have spent a lot of time focusing on uh, public lands issues and rural economic issues uh, in in Washington D.C. I'm very comfortable with how committee work is done, uh, where um, you know where uh, certain funding sources exist. I've worked with the White House with CEQ. That's the Council on Environmental Quality. With various White, White House uh, departments, including the Department of Commerce and Department of Interior. Uh, and so that is where my understanding is best in government. And uh, so I, I thought that would be most the, the place that I would be most suited to, to work. And you know, I feel at this point, um, we need a new leadership. We need, we need people uh, that are going to take a fresh approach. Uh, to to representing the people of the second district, uh, and someone that has a proven track record to, to work together with various other uh, leaders and 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 stakeholders to bring together various different ideas and and to actually get things done. And that's where I've really succeeded in my professional career is bringing people together around complex and controversial ideas and finding compromise and finding a solution that works for. The, the broadest cross-section uh, of an area and then moving that idea forward. And um, so because of that skill set and, and the, the fact that Congress right now feels like it's lacking uh, in, in, in uh, that type of leadership, 
feel like it's an important time for someone like me to run for office. So you, in that answer, anticipated my next question, which was going to be, what does your advocacy for the Katahdin Woods and Waters Monument say about your leadership style and what we might expect uh, that style to be as a congressman? It sounds as if a major component of it would be uh, a capacity to bring people together and achieve compromise on difficult issues. Is there anything more you would add? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is, is listening and um, being able to listen to the needs and, and, and wants and desires of, of people and make sure that people not only uh, are, are able to express those needs and wants in a, in a forum that works for them, but then they're actually, there's a response and that their, their needs are being addressed. Uh, and, and that's certainly what I've proven that I, I'm willing to do. Uh, and and continue to show up and, and do the hard work because that I think in the end is is what's going to uh, is what's going to be required of, of a member of Congress because there are challenges in front of us clearly you know there there are things that um, that are coming uh, coming down the pipe here in in the second district of Maine with an aging workforce and challenging economic situations and a volatile healthcare market that are going to take some difficult uh, planning and, 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 um, and there's the real challenge. So, you know, we need to have those start electing leaders that are willing to dig into those challenges and, and try to find a solution. So when you mention listening, it makes me think of the, uh, ad that I would run if I were, and I assure you, uh, I am not, and given my politics, there's no way that I would be, but, um, Suppose that I were a communication strategist for Poliquin and uh, the Democratic nominee were Lucas St. Clair. I can imagine that one ad I might run would go a little something like this. Yes, he listened. Yes, he stood at the end of grocery lines. He set up a card table at the dump. He listened. But when push came to shove, he proceeded in an anti-democratic fashion, ignoring everyday skeptics in the second district, skeptics of the Katahdin Woods and Waters Monument, ignoring the main legislature, which voted to oppose the National Monument. And yes, he said at the end of, and I listened to your main live uh, presentation, the power of the people prevailed, but not the people of the second district, or at least not those who were skeptical uh, of the monument. What would your reaction be to such uh, an ad? Well, you know, my personal reaction would be um, the fact that, you know, he tried to do this once before. And uh, when he thought that the people of the second district did not like the National Monument, he decided to hold a congressional field hearing in East Millinocket in, in the beginning of June 2016. And he brought uh, members of Congress, uh, including Bob Bishop, the chairman of the Natural Resources Committee, yep. to, to East Millinocket to testify, along with our governor and only uh, opponents to the National Monument, and he was greeted with a room filled with supporters. He was completely overwhelmed by you know a margin of almost ten to one, and I think he would be very reluctant to do an ad like that uh, because he knows how strong the monument support has grown, and the reason why we weren't able to introduce a legislation is because he was the obstacle in our way. And if he wasn't there, legislation would have passed. And I think he realizes that he was the person that stood in the way of doing this through regular order and moving a bill uh, 
through 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 Congress. And um, he says that it wouldn't have happened. But just six months before then, nine national park bills moved through regular order. Uh, that and and uh, Mike Simpson, a Republican congressman from Idaho, created 250,000 acres of of wilderness in in the Boulder White Clouds. So he it was his lack of leadership, his lack of understanding of what his constituents were thinking about this project that moved us to have to use the Antiquities Act uh, and and to to convince the president. But the president did his due diligence as well. And the White House spent a lot of time and energy making sure that there was support in the region and found out, in fact, the support was overwhelming. And so if he ran an ad like that, it would it would just be another example of how clearly uh, he is not representing the people of the district who who support this by an overwhelming margin. And not just Democrats, Democrats, Republicans and independents alike are all benefiting from it. And in, this summer is going to be another example of how many thousands of people from all around the world come to the Katahdin region to enjoy this very special place. So I wish I had more time for questions to follow up on that, but I'm aware of the clock. So I'm going to move on to another issue, but still related. Um, So you're of course familiar with the Maine outdoor Alliance. They've been in the news uh, for about a week now uh, as reported in the Bangor daily news. This organization has spent at least $149,000 on ads. The Portland Press Herald puts the figure at $300,000. The ads not only celebrate the monument and tell the listeners to uh, call the Trump administration and tell the Trump administration to leave the monument alone, but the ads also mention you, they show your image, and they celebrate your advocacy for the monument. The ads qualify as issue ads, and under election law, such an organization as the Maine Outdoor, Outdoor Alliance is allowed to mention a candidate as long as they don't coordinate with any candidate's campaign. As has been reported, the sole officer listed on the paperwork filing for the incorporation of the Maine Outdoor Alliance is described as Nathan DeYesso, who is described as the best man at your wedding. You're quoted in the Portland Press Herald as saying, you did not become aware of the group or its advertising until after the commercial was on the air. Uh, quote, we haven't um, talked to the organization and can't coordinate with them. So I want to make sure I'm clear. Uh, your position is that you hadn't spoken to DSO about the activities of the Maine Outdoor Alliance, and you have not spoken to DSO about that? That's right. Our campaign found, about, found out about these ads the same time everyone else did uh, when they went up online or when they went up uh, on, uh, on television. I'm not a TV watcher, so I, haven't, I hadn't seen them myself, but they were brought to my attention. And the campaign has no, had no contact with the organization and were unaware of its plans until we saw the information reported in the newspaper. And we don't know anything more than what's been reported, and we don't know who's funding the organization. And I've publicly asked the group to take down the ads and to disclose its funders. Um, but we're prohibited from coordinating in any way with outside groups or advertising during the campaign, and we take the law very seriously. Um, but I, you know, I will say that the campaign finance system in our country is completely broken, and that is true no matter who's doing the spending or what campaigns are supposed to, uh, or or what campaigns are supposed to benefit. You know, we have to fix the way it, it it's being done, and getting out of getting money out of politics is the most important issue uh, that I I can think of right now. It's you know, it's wearing the 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 very fabric of our democracy then 
And, you know, I completely support overturning the Citizens United and I back the Disclose Act. Uh, and I think, you know, that would add greater transparency to campaign finance. Um, but I also think it's important to know that the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument is not safe. Uh, it, it's in the hands of a president who just pulled us out of the Iran nuclear agreement and who pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accord. No decision, no agreement, no recommendation is, is final with him. And, and he has not told anyone whether or not we're safe. And there's a pending lawsuit right now in the protection of the park. And he, he has shown consistently that he does not care about public land. And it's wrong to say that Katahdin Woods and Waters uh, can't come under threat again, and and by no means is is this uh, is this sorted out. So, last question on that, and then I want to shift to one uh, unrelated issue. Uh, in today's Portland Press Herald, the columnist Bill Nimitz, uh, in addition to uh, acknowledging that you've called for the uh, MOA to release their donors or take the ads down, he also quotes Jared Golden. And Golden's quoted as saying, quote, if we don't take the high ground on this issue, then we can't use it as a reason people should be uncomfortable with Bruce Poliquin as their congressman. I'm not complaining about the money itself, Golden says. I always expected that there was going to be an infusion of outside independent groups spending money. The issue is about the lack of transparency. What's your reaction to Golden's quote? You know, as I just said, I think the, the transparency issue is, is – uh is frustrating. And I, I want to see, I want to see more transparency in our campaign finance system. Um, and I, I think, uh, I think he's right. That's exactly, exactly what we need. So as I said, I want to shift uh, gears and this will be the next to last question. Um, people can go to www.stclairforcongress.com and go to the issues page to see a variety of your issue stances. But I want to ask about an issue that's not addressed on that page. And that issue is immigration. As you know, immigration has become a salient issue uh, in Maine, although, of course, there have been previous waves of immigration. This is not a new phenomenon. But one thing that stands out is these immigrants over the last um, uh, almost uh, 20 years now have been immigrants of African descent in a state that is, uh, in most years, the whitest and oldest state in the union. And so on the one hand, it's produced some change that has aroused, quite frankly, some discomfort and uh, resentment among some um, um, Mainers who are white. On the other hand, many have argued that this is actually a good trend for the state and that the economy needs an infusion of new workers and new skills. What about you? Do you think the arrival of immigrants and refugees uh, is net beneficial for the state or not? Yeah, absolutely. It's a benefit. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're seeing examples of it every day. Uh, and I think we need to be very clear that people that are coming to Maine from African countries, as you said, um, are, they're not wanting to leave their, their homes and their families in some cases. And, you know, they, they are not choosing to have the, the unrest in, in their home countries uh, and, and being victims to them. And if, so if they choose to come to Maine, we should absolutely embrace uh, that choice. And we should provide all of the means that we can to, to help integrate 
people into our culture and our society here in Maine uh, and, and, you know, learn from them as much as we can and have them learn from us and, uh, and, and find ways that we all can mutually benefit from, from them being here. But you're absolutely right. A a third of the workforce in Maine is going to retire in the next decade, or at least reach retirement age. That's, that's a, a pretty significant amount of people and who, who are going to do those jobs who, who in 10 years are going to be our teachers and electricians and doctors and nurses. You know, we, we need to absolutely find ways to encourage people to choose to live in Maine. Uh, we're having more deaths than births and uh, that, that is not, not good for the, the, the longstanding success of, of our state. And I think immigration can absolutely be a, a, a benefit to us. Do you have plans to include any uh, immigrants and or people of color in your ads? Um, at the moment, we we don't. Um, but I'm, I'm not. It's for no no other reason that um, we haven't put a lot of thought into our our ads yet. Yep. Um, and and what they'll be like for the for the general election um, when there'll be a lot more ads. But um, I think you know absolutely including their voices in in our in our message is is going to be very important. So I will hold you to that. But for now, my last question is: Let's fast forward to early 2019. Let's imagine that you are Congressman St. Clair. Do you have any thoughts on what the first bill you would sponsor would be? I, I don't, uh, you know, there's, there are um, so much to be left up to committee assignments and um, you know, what the, what's going to be facing our, our state and our nation uh, in January of 2019. You know, it's hard to tell what that will be, but I do know one of the things that I'll advocate for most is for a universal system of healthcare, which I think would absolutely be a, a benefit to all people in Maine and around the country. And I would make sure that we protect our social security, our healthcare, and most, and, and dear to my heart is the, the protection of Maine's natural resources and all of those things I would continue to advocate for and, and make sure that we are making progress on that front uh, in, in, in the halls of Congress. Uh, Lucas Sinclair, thanks so much for your clarity and thanks for taking the time to talk with me. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. That's it for Tatter. I want to thank Lucas St. Clair for taking the time to speak to me. I also want to point out that I reached out to the campaign of Jared Golden, as well as the office of Representative Bruce Poliquin, inviting each of them on for an interview. But at least as of today, when I am finishing editing this episode, neither has responded. I would love to have them on. I hope that at some point I will have either or both on the show. I also want to interject by way of full disclosure that Jared Golden is a graduate of Bates College, which is where I am a professor, but I did not teach Jared Golden while he was a student, nor to the best of my recollection did I even meet him while he was a student. 
But again, I would love to have him on as well as Representative Poliquin. To each of them, I would say, I'm a nice guy. Come on in. The water's fine. Yes, I will ask tough questions, but they will be fair. Uh, Honestly, I want to say that uh, I know that uh, Representative Poliquin has actually been recorded saying that he avoids the press so that he does not give ammunition to potential opponents. So I will be surprised, pleasantly surprised, but definitely surprised if he comes on the podcast. But we'll see. In the most recent episode, Al Diamond called him a weasel for avoiding tough questions. Maybe he'll hear that and he'll come on just to prove Diamond wrong. A man can dream. Before wrapping up, I want to give a shout out to another podcast called Very Bad Wizards. In this podcast, philosopher Tamler Summers and psychologist David Pizarro, who's a friend of mine, by the way, offer their smart, irreverent takes on moral philosophy, moral psychology, and neuroscience, as well as their applications to life outside the lab. In their most recent episode, Summers and Pizarro moved seamlessly between banter that was both brilliant and sophomoric to serious, probing, careful, and provocative discussion of Peter Berger's paper on the obsolescence of the culture of honor, as well as Summers' own new book, Why Honor Matters. By listening, I learned a great deal about the distinctions between honor cultures and dignity cultures, and I learned some of the benefits and costs that Summers and Pizarro see in each— And I also learned which famous cognitive psychologist they think likes to, in their terms, jerk off to the value system of the Enlightenment. In addition to talking philosophy, psychology, and neuroscience, David Pizarro also makes great beats for Very Bad Wizards, one of which I'm playing in the background right now. So for all these reasons, when you're not listening to Tatter, check out Very Bad Wizards. For now, thanks for listening to Tatter, and be well. <laughs>